lots and lots of people have homoerotic fantasies, for example, but they might never want to cross swords. Please don't think that you need to look or act like a porn star in the bedroom. When people want to have sex with you, they know that your body's not perfect and they still want to see it. They still want to get naked with you. Normally this time on mornings on Mondays, we have a very special guest and she's right here with me. Her name is Tanya Coons. Tanya, hell yeah, 50 episodes of Let's Talk About Sex. Let's do a little rumble. <laughs> Huge. Hey, Maya, Congratulations. 50. Why, thank you. I can't believe we've done this many. I know, it's pretty wild, huh? Yeah, and there's still so much to talk about. <laughs> Not even scratching the surface, hey? Yeah, it's really good. In case you are tuning in for the first time, Let's Talk About Sex is a bi-weekly segment that is run with Tanya Coons, who's on the line, who is our resident sexpert on all things sex, love and relationships. We go through a different uh, theme or topic each week and run through some questions. And this week we decided to celebrate all of the different discussions we've been having and Bridie Tanner was able to have before I came on to mornings. Um, we were going to celebrate with extending the mic over to you to send us your questions and things that you want to hear, which is what we're going to be doing right here, right now. Uh, the text line number is 0409-945-945 if you want to whip anything last minute in. Now, Tanya, yes. let's get stuck into these. Okay. I'm so excited for questions from the listeners. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> We're going to kick it all off with um, Mike, who's 23, and asks, how can you get a man in his mid-30s to enjoy eating your pussy when he says it doesn't he it doesn't like it all up in his face? Rude. Right. Yeah. That's only, <laughs> I kind of stood back a bit when I saw that question. I, I, my first response is, hmm, what does all up in his face actually mean? Yeah. And then I had a bunch of questions. Does he like blowjobs? Where's his penis? Is it all up in Mike's face? I'm kind of interested in in the mid-30s guy. Does he like pleasure for his partners? Because uh, if he's having sex with people with vulvas, the easiest way to give them an orgasm is by oral sex, right? So uh, it sort of brings me to a little bit of a, a statement around vulvas being the target of blame and shame for a really long time, you know? <sighs> Yeah, if you look at the messages that penis owners get about their genitals, it feels good, go sow some wild oats, boys are horny, you should want sex, you know, all this sort of stuff. And what do the vulva owners get? They get told that their genitals don't look good, they don't smell good, they're dirty, they bleed, they get you in trouble, they get you pregnant, and they take too long to orgasm, is these messages. So I think some of this comes about because people don't really understand how vulvas work that well and how the arousal systems work mm -hmm. i know from from the science stuff that i've studied there's a measurement called the ielt the intravaginal ejaculatory latency time time of penis in vagina to time of ejaculation it's a measure and it runs on a bell-shaped curve and the average time is about five and a half minutes for people with penises on entering they're doing one uh, they're doing an anal study soon but those results aren't out um, people with vulvas, on the other hand, they need 17 minutes of stimulation. Right, That's right down the middle, the median of the bell shape curve. Mm -hmm. 17 minutes of stimulation during partnered sex to have an orgasm. But when it comes to masturbation, 
people with penises take on average four minutes to climax and people with vulvas take on average four minutes to climax the same so if we know our own bodies if we know how the plumbing works we know what we're doing we can get there quickly not that i'm advocating quick orgasms but it's just a good comparison mm. what i draw from that research is that people don't really understand how vulvas work and uh, those genital structures and what feels nice so a lot of the time people's ignorance of arousal systems and, and vulvas leads to them being shamed and blamed you know and and also the owners of those genitals going oh you know i'm taking too long why why isn't it happening faster what's wrong with me because everybody also seems to be in a hurry to get to the p and v part of sex so i think a lot of guys are buying into that vulva shaming and they're also using it as an excuse to not have to do something that they're not certain of because it's kind of handy going ew i don't like that rather than kind of muddling around going oh well you know i'm not that sure of how to give you pleasure and it can take away from their their feeling of certainty in the bedroom mm -hmm. so i would suggest uh to micah if this is your uh, partner gently educating them on how your arousal system works that it might need time that sex is not all about the p and v and that only 28 percent of people with vulvas will climax from penetrative sex so a little bit of education on you know what would be really nice and what, what would really turn me on and get me off and also get him to look at it as a gift to you rather than something that he has to do yeah and i think all of these things put a really big focus on pleasure and not performance and outcome, which is always the best way to be looking at these things. Yeah. Definitely the way to wrap that up in a nice bow, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have another question from Shanghai underscore Sheba on Instagram, who is yeah. asking how to depawn the brain. Very good question, I think. This is an amazing question, actually. And you know, the first thing I want to say about that is porn is not real sex. I'll say it again, porn is not real sex. It's adult entertainment and it's just like the TV and the movies. It's not real. It's fantasy. So I, I don't want to, people to think that I'm here slamming porn because I, I think it can be very useful in helping people access material that they're interested in, that feeds their fantasies, that gives them ideas for sex. Mm. It's not normal sex. Right? Just because you see it in porn doesn't mean that A, you have to like it or B, you have to do it. Sometimes fantasies are just enough to, you know, to watch and get off to do or get inspired by. And that's okay. So lots and lots of people have homoerotic fantasies, for example, but they might never want to cross swords or mix things up that way. But they can really get off on looking at porn like that or running some hot fantasies in their mind. Um, I also have lots of porn, uh, lots of clients that disappear down the porn rabbit hole, you know, and it could, if you're looking at porn, it's pretty easy for people to go, oh, I'll just look here, I'll just click that link, I'll just click this, I'll just click that. And before they know it, they've spent a really long time looking at porn. And if you keep doing this for an extended period of time, it can cause desensitization, which means that it can take them longer to arouse or longer to orgasm or even become unable to orgasm at all right they can then they can turn to it maybe sometimes for stress relief which could be problematic or they could choose to use porn to feel good instead of sitting with uncomfortable feelings that they might be having and actually dissociate if they're looking at porn for long periods of time yeah so if you want to de-porn 
um, and I think this is such a good question because they're asking for what to do. Um, you can try masturbating without porn because it's so easy for folks now. It's on the phone, it's on the laptop, it's it's everywhere. Mm. You don't have no longer have to you know wait till your dad's out and go find his stash or sneak down to a shop, try and get a dirty mag. It's it's everywhere. <laughs> it's ubiquitous. So try masturbating without porn. And if cold turkey is too hard, do it every other time, and then maybe one in every three times. Um, I have a teacher who works with uh, men who have uh, porn addiction and he does what's called porn yoga. And I work with some of my clients as this as well. He, uh, he likes to call everything yoga, but actually this is about teaching people how to engage with their bodies rather than just uh, being up in their heads and looking at porn. So he suggests that they stand up to masturbate. Mm -hmm. And they, if they're going to look at porn, for 10 seconds in every one minute, you need to look away from the porn and to engage with your body while you're, you're um, yeah, while you're masturbating. So it might be that you're going to shake your body or jump up and down, take some breaths, give yourself some slaps, touch somewhere, but do something differently and shake it up. Um, another way that you can move to de-pornify is to look at ethical porn where all the performers are paid equally and bodies of all shapes and sizes are represented. Ethical porn often shows negotiation and consent and it shows all kinds of people having orgasms, not just the folk with penises. And usually there's fun and laughter shown as well. So it's sort of, it's showing a lot more normal kind of sex. Mm. And another one of the things I advocate is, you know, look at amateur porn if you're going to do that sort of stuff because it's normal people doing random stuff. Yeah. Right? So these, these are just some tips to sort of try and move away from porn. But please don't think that you need to look or act like a porn star in the bedroom. For a lot of people, that's an enormous turnoff if their partner starts pulling things like that. And I feel like a lot of effort sometimes. Don't you, don't you think so? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I remember doing another radio show somewhere and somebody rang in and said, oh, my God, my girlfriend and I, we went away. It was going to be our first time for both of us. And my girlfriend started acting like a porn star and I was so turned off by it. Oh, uh, oh gosh. And I just realised that, you know, she must have, that's all the education she'd had or all the, the kinds of sex that she'd seen. So she was trying to emulate that, thinking that's what her partner would want. Uh, so I think, yeah, it's more about tuning into your body and what feels nice and what feels nice coming from your partner and, you know, and being brave enough to say what it is that feels good. Let people know. Yeah, cut out the middleman. Yeah, I just keep remembering that porn is fantasy, adult entertainment. You know, we don't try and emulate what we see in the movies or on TV, hopefully. Um, it's just the same, you know, like while the movies and TV have hegemonic beauty standards, so does porn. Um, but you do not have to be a certain shape and size or a certain age to be able to enjoy sex and pleasure. Mm. We are going to really quickly jump to a track before we come back to some more questions. The next one in relation to deporning the mind. So we're just going to let the concept of deporning sit for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to some low life. There's a language warning on this one. It's called Catholic guilt. <laughs> Low life with a bit of Catholic guilt, a single that they thought they lost and then found again, uh, tying up the loose ends of their first wave period, getting ready to put out some more new music. 
Right now, though, I am here with Tanya Coons on Let's Talk About Sex. We are answering your questions. We've done a poll, taken as many questions as we could uh, to celebrate today, which is the 50th episode of Let's Talk About Sex, which is massive. Uh, just before Catholic Guilt, we were talking about the concept of deporting the brain. And we've got another question coming in from Tamsin J. Kemp on Instagram, who I guess in relation to the idea of deporting the mind, wants to know how do we cultivate average person's sexiness and resist the pervasive notion that sex or real good sex belongs only to the beautiful and abled body, bodied? Oh, Excellent yeah. question. Yes, how much do I love this question? <laughs> the first thing to say to this is that it's really important to know that all bodies are capable of pleasure and exploring sex. We are all sexual beings and desire sex and connection and pleasure. Um, making sex only okay for certain types of people isn't actually a part of systemic oppression and the patriarchy. Here we are again making certain people's bodies somehow not okay and turning them into a project to be worked on. And I can't tell you how many times I've had beautiful young people sitting across from me saying they can't have sex till they lose two or three kilos. Right? Yeah. It's heartbreaking people of all shapes and sizes are totally capable of feeling pleasure exploring bodies so if we can help people feel confident in the bodies that they have not the ones they're aspiring to that would really help confidence is sexy and i'm reminded of this constantly in my work a lot of what's attractive to your partner is confidence in your own sexiness seriously so I always say to people, stop apologizing for your bodies now, you know, and to help us and to help compliment your friends when they look good, tell them they look sexy. It's not all about their appearance. It's how they carry themselves, how they laugh, how they talk, how they dress and understand that when people want to have sex with you, they know that your body's not perfect and they still want to see it. They still want to get naked with you. I read an amazing article that, uh, recently that said, you know, it was about larger people having sex. And it was like, you know, people who want to have sex with fat people know that they're going to be fat when they take their clothes off. They already know. Right? There's no need to apologize. There's no need to try and hide that. Mm. A, a lovely friend once told me they would um, much prefer to have a confident person on the bed saying, come at me regardless of their size or presentation, rather than a person that meets hegemonic beauty standards who wants the lights off or to hide under the covers. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, you want somebody who's going to be there and showing up for fun, not somebody who's apologising for who they are. Yeah. I think that there's a lot to do there and, and to just understand that everybody can be sexy. There's a, I'm seeing a lot at the moment about the sexiness of folks with differently abled bodies and there's been a lot of photo shoots of people with disability looking really sexy and, and doing their thing and talking about how they get their sexy on. It's really, really interesting to see. So I'm all for seeing a lot more of diverse ways of being sexual and expressing yourself. Here, here. Yeah. Now we have another anonymous question that says, I've just recently realised I am polyamorous. What's a good, respectful way I can bring this up with new romantic partners? Good question as well. They're all good questions today. It's exciting. Um, if you're polyamorous, then understanding that it means consensual non-monogamy is important. 
it's something that you're going to need to flag with new romantic partners from the beginning so they all have the information they need to enter into a consensual relationship with you. So take care not to obfuscate things. That's a form of lying, right? You can, in the introductory stages of meeting, talk about your polyamory and any partners you may have on your landscape. It doesn't have to be very detailed unless your potential cutie wants to ask you questions about it, right? So my advice for Polly is that it's always better to be forward announced rather than backward announced things because then people get the information they need to consider and consent to what's going on. And it's important also to remember that there are all kinds of Polly, right? Some people want to be in equal and committed relationships. Others may have a primary relationship and have some satellite relationships that they spend less time in. Some people do solo poly and they date without having partners at all. And some people do poly fuckery, which is sleeping about, but letting everybody know who's on the radar. Mm. It's all okay as long as it's with mutual consent. I always say to folks, try to avoid poly douchery, right? This is where you hide things from partners for fear of disapproval or missing out. You know, it's difficult. Not Polyamory is not for everybody. And the, the reason being is that you need to be very good at communicating and you need to be very good at scheduling mm. as well. So understanding that and understanding that sometimes you might miss out on potential cuties because they're not across the polyamory thing, that's going to be a part of doing it. But wouldn't you rather people who can show up enthusiastically and with full consent than creating situations that might cause you or anybody else a little bit of heartbreak yeah. um, so I actually wrote an article on this, um, what to consider before having an open relationship, and it's been published on ABC Life, and we're going to pop the link up in the show details so you can go there and have a little read, and it gives some tips and guidelines for what to think about if you want to open up your relationship and how to broach that with a potential partner. Hell yeah, we'll definitely pop that up at the programs page at fbiradio.com. Very yeah. good way to bring it all together, Tanya. I feel like honesty is always the best policy sooner rather than later (laughs) we are going to very quickly go to a bit of bachelor pad and then answer some more of your questions on let's talk about sex so don't go anywhere you're on fbi radio Your favourite Sydney rockers, Bachelor Pad there with Holiday, following on from BPEP18. Right here with me uh, is Tanya Coons. My name's Maya Billick. We're on Let's Talk About Sex. We are answering your questions to celebrate 50 episodes. And we have, I think, a very critical one and something that a lot of people underestimate this question or idea. It gets, it kind of comes into play maybe if you've ever experienced social anxiety but we have an anonymous question asking how to get over dating anxiety when you haven't had a date in years. Yes, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, I mean, I mean, I don't know, I think we all get anxious when it comes to meeting folks or presenting ourselves for the first time, mm. right? And I think the trick here is to hold lightly, you know, have in mind the things that you might be looking for when you're meeting a person. What are you going on the date for? Are you looking for sex? Are you looking for a casual lover? Are you looking for a full-on relationship? So hold that in your mind, but really see if you can have a nice time on a date, right? When we can have a great time, we, you know, we can also have a great time, I think, meeting people who aren't right for us. So 
if and, and I say this to my clients all the time, I think if you're dating successfully, you go on dates and sometimes you work out that the person is not the right one for you. Um, even if you date them for a little while, like you go out for you know a few times or a few months, the whole idea of dating is that you're trying on folk for size, isn't it? Yeah. So don't, don't try and sort of force things. You've got to remember that this is as much an interview for them as it is for you. So don't hand over your power thinking that you need to impress them. It's about let's see how we get on. So really, if you can set out with, I would really like to have a nice night out or day out or whatever it is that I'm doing with this person, um, that's the point to start from. Are we having fun? You know, I've been on some lovely dates with people who aren't the right person for me, but I've had a really great night out because we've done something fun. We've enjoyed each other's company, but we've realised, yeah, nah, this isn't, there's no spark or we're not right for each other. And it's been okay. Right. So I think if you give yourself permission to go along and don't invest so much in the outcome, bring pack your curiosity, bring it along with you on the date, see what that person's like, see how you're feeling, check in with your body, see what it's telling you and take it from there. The trick is really to hold things lightly. Mm. I feel like that question sort of uh, is connected to a question we had on the text line from Annie who is interested in knowing after having had long-term relationships that last between five to 14 years and coming into midlife, how do you reignite interest in having a relationship again and imagining sexual connections? Ah, okay. So I'm curious, Annie, have you come out of a long-term relationship recently and are you not feeling like dating again? Because one thing I would make sure is that you've taken time to grieve any relationship that you've come out of and to work out who you are on your own. That's an important thing. And if you are considering another relationship, then it might be a good idea to think about what it is that you're looking for, what you want. What's the payoff for getting into a relationship for you? Are you looking for companionship? Are you looking for financial security? Are you looking for sex? Are you looking for someone to go on holidays with? People look for lots of different things and reasons. So have a little think about that and, you know, think, hmm, if I was to be in a relationship, I would hope to get these things out of it. Um, it can be pretty daunting considering sex with someone else after a long-term relationship. And I do think sex changes it as we get older. But a very wise teacher of mine once said, you know, we get to look forward to the best sex of our lives in our 40s, 50s and 60s because we know ourselves better and we know our bodies well. Right. So try not to bind a societal myth that only the young and beautiful are sexy. It's just not true. And I say to that sister, teacher of mine, right on sister, she was correct. Right. So there's no need to rush anything. Move at your own pace and see what feels right for you. If you if you need to feel connected with someone before you contemplate sex with them, that's okay. Right. Then it isn't. Yeah. Careful not to confuse that with anxiety because the first time you're with a new lover, it is a little anxiety provoking. But just remember, you know, as you change, sex will change, the folk that you're interested in will change, and to, to have a little think about what it is that you're looking for. Um, that often helps people actually understand that they've got it when it shows up. Mm. Thank you so much, Annie, for texting in on 0409-945-945, that excellent question. This is another one going out to Jack from Balmain, wondering if it's ever okay to lie in a relationship are there times when it's beneficial? Ah, Jack, this is a really tricky question. Um, I think most relationships are based on trust. So lying isn't going to build trust. 
And I wouldn't advocate lying as I don't think it helps relationships and it often serves to avoid talking about issues or situations that really may need addressing, right? But from time to time, I've had clients that might have committed an infidelity at some point in their relationships and feel really guilty about it. And if their relationship's going well and the infidelity is no longer happening, then I ask them the reason that they would want to tell their partner. Who is it for? Is it for the partner or is it for you to alleviate the guilt? Right? If it isn't for the partner, then maybe it's not the time to tell. But that's such a tricky thing because, you know, many of us believe in truth, truth and nothing but the truth. But sometimes the truth hurts people. Um, I usually find the biggest hurt in infidelity is the fact that one partner felt deceived. It's not the actual infidelity. So if you do the math, I think lying isn't going to serve the relationship. It'll erode trust if it's discovered and it may help you in avoiding dealing with some stuff that you really need to discuss. So I would say err on the side of truth. Excellent response, Tanya. Uh, we are going to go to a song very quickly and then we have some room for very short final question before we go to wrap up today's show. So this next one has a language warning it is by Kobe D. Same old shit as the name. We're answering your questions and let's talk about sex. You're an FBI. Every day it's the same old shit. Stay so hot like I smoke two splits. Stay so woke on my third eye shit. Just a soul who don't know how to quit, right? Every day it's the same old shit. Stay so hot like I smoke two splits. Stay so woke on my third eye shit. Just a soul who don't know how to quit, right? Every day it's the same old shit. Coming out on Bad Apples there, Kobe D, from Sydney, a proud Gamilaroi man on Bad Apples. We're on Let's Talk About Sex. Uh, I guess you can kind of say the song sort of talks about a lot of the similar things that we're going through on today's show. We are answering your questions. Same Old Shit deals with Kobe's struggles with mental health. And I think mental health and like being quote-unquote mentally healthy does come into play, I guess, with how you manoeuvre bodies. Right, Tanya? How you manoeuvre bodies, yeah. So we've got one very last question coming in very slyly on the end there, Sarah. I like it. On 0409-945-945, Sarah wants to know how I can be more in touch with who I am on my own when I'm in a long-term relationship. I feel like this is very important and almost anyone who is maybe in that first pivotal relationship has that little moment. Yeah. Yeah. And also people who've been in long-term relationships can really feel swallowed up by the relationship at times and not able to find the time and the space for themselves, which I think is very important. Um, I often talk to folks about the, the difference between differentiation and enmeshment in relationships. When you have differentiation, you've got each person can stand on their own two feet as an individual and when you've got enmeshment, you, it's kind of like you're soldered together and you can't even go down the shops to go buy a pint of milk without causing some kind of stretch mm. on the relationship, right? It's so important that you set relationships up for differentiation, which means making sure you take time on your own and pursuing your own interests, having your own friends, doing your own things, and that those things, when you're engaging in them, aren't impacting your relationship or causing stress or strain or arguments or push and pull. So it's really important, Sarah, that you do um, take that time to do the things that you like. Uh, spend some time with your friends, take some some girls' nights out or 
girls' days out, whatever you like to do, make sure your partner has their own interests as well, that they're pursuing their things because it can be really imbalanced. And I often see clients where one person's pretty good at pursuing their own interests, but the other partner just sits at home forlornly waiting for them to come home. That's not so great either. It's, it's really good that you invest in yourself and take the time to do things that are nourishing for you and develop who you are. Because after all, you want to bring your best self into the relationship. Yeah. Take that time and invest in yourself and your self-development and who you are and the things that give you delight and joy. You'll turn up in your relationship as a great human being as well. I hope that helps, Sarah. Yeah, and I feel like I guess maybe you can say I can say from personal experience, it gives you a bit more to talk about. Like you have some more middle ground to like learn from each other from. So don't be afraid to do something a bit different or pursue a random hobby that's just yours. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that Esther Perel talks about in keeping desire alive in relationships is that we like to look at our partner out in the world and be very proud of who they are and what they're doing. You know, it's kind of like, look at this person, you know, did this really cool thing. They're really creative. They do good stuff on the weekends. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Create that chance to be proud of your partner and you, and them to be proud of you. Thank you so much for texting in that question, Sarah. And thank you so much, Tanya, for answering all these questions. That's a wrap for Let's Talk About Sex today. You can listen back to the show wherever you get your podcasts from. Just look up FBI Radio. Let's Talk About Sex will be right there. Or you can listen back at fbiradio.com. Just click on Mornings with Maya Billick and everything will be there for you. Just shy of 11. Tanya, we'll be back in, what, a fortnight? We'll figure it a out. Fortnight and got 50 episodes for you to listen to now. Fantastic. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a little best of on the website or something. Ooh. We'll figure it out. Thank you so much, Tanya, for always the insightful bits of advice that you give us. We'll see you again very soon. Thank you. 